All right. Well, before I get going, um, I am going to open us in prayer. So if you guys would just bow your heads with me. God, thank you so much for another year of the table. Um, Thank you so much for another book um, and more things that we've learned about you um, and more work that you've done in our hearts and more of us that you have brought to yourself. Um, God, I'm I'm thankful for this ministry, um, but even more than the table, I'm thankful for you. Um, And so, God, tonight I pray that um, I would just teach your word faithfully um, and that um, people would see you um, through my words. Uh, Lord, um, I love you, uh, but don't just take my word for it. Uh, see it in our actions. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so how many of you can think back over the past year and think about like the myriad of topics that we've gone through? Um, when I was asked to do the, I guess, the final greetings of Paul or the last three verses, I'm not going to lie, I thought I had been asked to do the impossible. <laughs> How in the world do you speak for 20 or 30 minutes over three verses? Literally 11 through 14. I guess that's four verses if you count 11 and 12 and 13. Anyway. Um, But as I got to thinking, I just kept wondering, like, how does Paul leave his letter to the Corinthians? And how does that relate to everything else that we've gone over this past year? I mean, it seems like we've talked about suffering, we've talked about grieving, we've talked about being above reproach, we've talked about uh, angels disguised as light, false teachers, and I just kind of had this overwhelming sense of, like, what do we learn from 2 Corinthians as a whole? Um, And what is there to say about the last three verses? Um, So tonight, I kind of thought, Uh, to bookend our semester here, to bookend our year, I would try to do a general summary (laughs) of the whole book. Um, One thing that I am trying to do as I'm working through lessons, whether it be in my life group, whether it be in my quiet time, um, I'm trying to take a few key verses or key ideas ideas from each thing that I'm working through um, and commit those to memory. So this past week, as I've been working through the book of 2 Corinthians, um, I've made a list of a few things, of a few verses, um, that I think are worth committing to memory. I think are worth looking at and saying, this is what this book is about. And it's one of our, um, I guess it's one of our goals of discipleship, is biblical literacy. Um, So, if you have your notebooks out... There's probably going to be a lot of writing tonight. If you have your Bibles out, there's going to be a lot of flipping tonight because we're literally going to start in chapter 1 and end in chapter 13. Um, So, does somebody want to volunteer to start us off by reading chapter (laughs) 1? Jared, okay, go for it. Okay. Okay, Becca, Becca, the superior O'Neill will read for us. You can come in second. Okay, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> All right, Becca, take us away. The whole chapter. 
Go for it. Thanks, Becca. So to kind of summarize, I think, the point of chapter one, the idea that Paul wants the Corinthians to get is that God is a God of comfort. Um, I think it's really interesting that just like from the get-go, um, Paul starts his letter by praising the God of all comfort um, in verses three and four. Uh, Knowing all that we know now about 2 Corinthians, knowing all about the affliction, um, the oppression, the persecution, the humiliation that he experienced, um, it's significant that Paul greets his church in Corinth by praising the God of all comfort. Uh, from the get-go, he's laying a foundation of theology that praises God 
for his sufficiency and for his ability to sustain, sustain Paul's ministry. Um, in this chapter, we also learn um, that Paul has been deeply afflicted by the church in Asia, um, but that what man intended for harm, God intended for good. Um, Paul says um, that even though Paul thought that he had been dealt the sentence of death, um, God used that to strengthen his dependency, Paul's dependency on God. Um, as Drew said, I think in this lesson when he was teaching, um, God's comfort, Paul truly believes that God's comfort cannot be outpaced by our suffering. And so what Paul wants to know, wants the Corinthian church to know, is that our God is a God of comfort. And then we also have this little section about Paul's changed plans. Uh, Paul talks about how uh, he desperately wanted to visit Corinth after writing his tearful letter, but he because he wanted to offer them a second experience of grace, but that he knew that if he returned too quickly, um, the church might not have been restored yet. The Corinthian church might not yet, there might still be some who haven't had the, the time to accept Paul's authority to repent after this tearful letter. Um, and he wants, in, in verses 23 and 24, um, he says, It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you to stand firm in your faith. So he delays his return because he wants them to choose obedience for themselves. Uh, key verses. I think I mentioned 23, 24, but also verses 3 and 4, which is the verses of uh, blessed be the God of all comfort who comforts us in our afflictions. So we move on to chapter 2. And I don't think we're going to have time to read through every chapter of 2 Corinthians. So I'm just going to ask somebody to read the key verses of the text. Jared, can you do 10, 11, and 14 through 17? So chapter 2, we, we see that Paul wants the church of Corinth to be a church that is unified, to be a church of unity. Um, Paul expresses why he wrote his tearful letter. Um, first, that he would not, that when he returned and found the church, that they would be in a state that would bring him joy. Not that they would be in a state that would bring him anguish or anger. And so in this letter, we truly do see that Paul is saying, I love you. When I return to you, I want to see you healthy. I want to see you thriving. And so um, we see Paul's love for the Corinthian church and for their unity. It's kind of like why parents want siblings to get along. Um, Paul and then goes on to say um, later in the chapter about the people who have disqualified him and his authority. Um, I have forgiven them. And so now you should forgive them and restore them back. Um, again, fighting for this idea of unity. Um, 
we learn that, in, I think it's in verse 5, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Um, Paul says, those who have rejected his authority and repented should be restored back to the church. And then he says, do this so that they're not overcome with sorrow, so that the unity is not broken, so that the devil has no foothold for schemes for advancing his agenda. And then we also learned that while Paul was waiting to hear how the church um, was doing in Corinth um, by Titus, um, he couldn't find Titus, and so he moves on to Troas, where he does hear that there are many who have received his tearful letter and repented. Um, and that brings him much joy. And so I think one of the most beautiful parts of 2 Corinthians is in chapter 2, um, verses 14 um, through 17. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? For we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. And so Paul says, like, who is sufficient to bear the news that when we follow Christ, Christ is a message of life for some and death for others. And he says, we alone, we are not sufficient. But through Christ, we are made sufficient. <clears throat> so, chapter 2 is a chapter of unity. Chapter 3 goes on to this point about being ministers of the new covenant. And it goes on more responding to the question that he asked in chapter 2 about who is sufficient for this ministry. Paul wants the Corinthian church to know that their sufficiency to be ministers of this new covenant comes from God. Would somebody read um, verse 5? Becca, go for it. So, and then will somebody, sorry, will you go on and read uh, verses 8 and 9? Yeah. So, here Paul says, um, because we have been given the Spirit, because we, are because we are part of this new covenant, through God, through His Spirit, we are basically sufficient ministers for this. Um, and he goes on to say that if the old covenant was so glorious and it was mediated by Moses, how much more glorious will this new ministry of this new covenant be that's mediated through Christ? We move on to chapter 4. Will somebody read verses 5 and 7? 
you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and that we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made us, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have seen this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, but not from ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, in chapter 4, Paul wants the Corinthian church to know that we carry treasure. That alone... We are insufficient. We are but jars of clay. But because of the message of the new covenant that we carry in our hearts, we carry treasure. We move on to chapter 5. Will somebody read verse 12? And then will you also read uh, verses 18 through 21? So in chapter 5, Paul wants the Corinthians to see that they are ambassadors of Christ. Now that they have received the ministry of the new covenant, they are sufficient to carry out that ministry, and that that ministry is only done by the treasure that they hold in in themselves, which is the knowledge of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. Um, that they can be part of that ministry by being ambassadors of Christ. Um, Paul essentially says um, that I hope that you see this in me and understand that I'm not commending myself um, and that by you understanding where I'm coming from when I speak, um, you know how to respond to those who are trying to judge my message based on the external appearance, based on the jar of clay or the vessel, um, rather than what the actual message is that I carry. Um, Chapter 6, will somebody read verses 14 through 17? So in chapter 6, Paul goes on to say that since we are ambassadors of Christ, 
we must be yoked to righteousness and not to unrighteous things uh, because we do not want to have any obstacle. We don't want to be the obstacle for somebody receiving the message um, that we are preaching. Um, We move on to chapter 7. Uh, Will somebody read verses 9 and 10 of chapter 7? And so in chapter 7, Paul is basically saying to the Corinthian church, um, you have experienced godly grief, which has led to repentance. He's essentially saying, when I wrote to you, um, when I wrote to you after you were following false teachers and super apostles rather than my message, when you were rejecting my authority, um, You were yoked to things that were not righteous. You were taking part in things that were of the darkness. Um, But now I've heard from um, Titus that you've experienced godly grief and that that has led to repentance. And because of that, Paul says that he experiences great comfort. Um, Chapter 8, will somebody read verse 8? So chapter 8 is when we get into um, giving and earnestness. Um, Paul is saying, um, I've been bragging about you all this time. Prove your maturity and prove your love by giving earnestly. Um, He even kind of goes on to say that you benefited from the earnestness of Titus when he came to you. Um, and now I'm sending him again to collect an offering from you. Will somebody read verses, uh, verse 7 uh, from chapter 9? And then uh, will you also read 11 and 12? So Paul says, um, again, he's reminding uh, the Corinthian church that he's coming back. And um, he says, I'm, I'm reminding you that I'm coming for this offering. Not because I don't think that you're going to complete this offering, but because I want it to be ready when I get there. Because I want everyone to be able to see that this was something that was given cheerfully and out of the abundance of your heart. Um, not because I don't want anybody to be able to twist it and say that I came and got an exaction from you or that I was charging you for what I said. 
um, he says, prove your eagerness and love by having this done before we get there. This kind of reminds me, I was thinking about this, um, how many of this, how many of you this has happened to? Um, your mom is standing in the kitchen and they say, okay, Kelsey, I'm getting ready to go to Walmart. Before I get home, I want the dishes to be done. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to finish this episode. So you sit on your couch and you watch the episode. Next thing you know, you've accidentally watched two episodes. And then before you know it, you've accidentally watched three episodes. And then your mom calls and says, hey, Kelsey, I'm on the way home from Walmart. And you're like, I haven't done the dishes yet. And so you like get up and you run to the kitchen and she comes home and you're scrambling to get done what she's asked you to do. Yeah, that happens to me like on a weekly basis, basically. But... Paul reminds over and over and over again, the Corinthian church, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, because he's reminding them of how he wants to find them when he returns. Um, so chapter 9 um, is all about um, this idea of generosity. And he even says that, by the way, it's, it's not that I like want this to be done uh, just because I want it done by the time I get there. He says like God truly loves a cheerful giver and that when you give, there's kind of a threefold benefit. He says first, it supplies the needs of the saints. Um, second, it comes, it tr- God truly does enrich you when you give. Um, and then it says third, that it is because it is a thanksgiving to God when you give. Um, so we'll move on to chapter 11. Uh, will somebody read verse 15? Or sorry, 10. We skipped 10. Uh, yeah, verse 15 of chapter 10. Um, so in chapter 10, he's essentially um, explaining why he wants the Corinthian church to accept his authority. Um, and in chapter 10, the main point in chapter 10 is that he wants the Corinthian church to accept his authority so that the surrounding area um, basically can have his influence. And not his influence because he's trying to usurp some kind of power, but because he wants um, his credibility to go before him as the gospel spreads into those regions. He wants the people um, who hear about him to hear his message first and foremost. Um, so chapter 10, he's talking about his authority and specifically the desire to advance the gospel. Chapter 11, would somebody read uh, verse 30? If I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. So chapter 11 is the long list of all of Paul's sufferings. And again, Paul is saying, I'm not trying to commend myself. I'm not trying to prove myself by external appearance. Um, but I am trying to show you who I truly am. Um, he says that, finally, if, if, none of these, if none of these things will convince you, 
I guess I'll tell you that I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew, offspring of Abraham, uh, Israelite. He says, by those standards, I am qualified. Um, And he says, and yet I have suffered much. Um, So he shares his weaknesses. And by sharing his weaknesses, he essentially says um, that he doesn't want to land long on his worthiness as a messenger but rather on the worth of his message. And because the worth of his message was so great, he was able to endure all these sufferings. So chapter 11 is all about weakness. Chapter 12, will somebody read verses 6, 7, and 15? Uh, yeah. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? And so, again, Paul is basically pleading um, that his authenticity as, um, as, as an authority is proven. Um, he talks about being gladly spent, and he talks about, like, he could boast in a lot of things, but he refuses to. Um, His weaknesses um, are what truly display the converting power of the gospel um, and not his own skill or intellect. Um, So verse 12, or chapter 12, um, is all about being gladly spent. And then we move on to chapter 13. Uh, Will somebody read verse 9? Paul basically says in this chapter, um, I'm coming to visit you whether you're ready or not. We've been praying that you are restored when we find you. Um, But even if you are not, like, we will deal with you. Um, And so chapter 13, um, he talks about, I hope to find you healthy. Which brings us into our final greetings. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. So we look at the last 13 chapters, everything that Paul has laid out for the Corinthian church. Um, Why does he end this way? Um, I think it's because when he comes to the Corinthian church, He truly wants to see um, that they've taken comfort in God and that they're able to comfort one another, that they're unified, that they're agreeing with one another, um, that they're depending on um, 
God's sufficiency and not their own, basically to find the authorities in their church, that they understand that they can't judge um, authorities of the gospel based on their outward appearance or their skill or intellect, but by what they preach, by what treasure they carry inside, that they're ambassadors of Christ, um, that they're yoked to righteousness, that they've experienced godly grief for sin that has led them to repentance, uh, that they are giving with earnesty um, out of reverence to Christ, that they are generous, that they desire to advance the gospel, and they desire to advance the message that Paul has told them, um, that they're able to understand why Paul boasts in weakness um, and not in his strengths or not in his qualifications or his resume, um, that they understand that Paul will gladly be spent for them um, and that they will gladly spend of themselves. And finally, that because they understand the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, and because they are fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit, they are a healthy church that is able to support the advance of the gospel. Um, these final greetings, I think, are packed with a lot of meaning, and they're really, a lot of the meaning, I think, is found in them with a complete understanding of the whole book. Um, and so we obviously didn't get to read through the whole book tonight, but um, as we're wrapping down the semester, I would really encourage you to, in one setting, sit down and read through the whole book. See how these ideas connect to one another and play off of one another. Um, and then read Paul's final greetings. Um, we're getting ready to take a break. Um, and when we come back, um, our ministers will be giving you their final greetings for the semester. All right. We're ready. We are rolling. Okay, so I think Kelsey kind of mentioned, um, but it's going to be a little bit different tonight. As you can see, we're all three sitting up here. So as we are wrapping up the semester and as we are wrapping up 2 Corinthians, we each kind of wanted to just take a few minutes and give you our final exhortations and our, our final urging um, and encouragement and um, just, I guess, uh, way to live, if you will. So... Um, I, I have an ESV study Bible, and I love that thing. Um, I was kind of reading in the commentary section, and this particular sentence just really, I don't know, stuck out and grabbed me, so I'm going to read that to you. It said that Paul is dealing with false apostles who have shaped the hearts of the Corinthians through artful rhetoric, power grabbing, and status seeking. Um, and, you know, we studied a lot about the super apostles or the false apostles and the false teaching that's going on. I think the reason that this that sentence kind of stuck out to me was that phrase right there um, that said, who have shaped the hearts of the Corinthians. And I want to just take a few minutes to kind of walk through um, where we might be allowing false teaching into our own lives that we're not even aware of. Like what things today might be shaping our hearts um, because I think it's really easy for us to look back at them 2,000 years ago and say, yes, you should never have been letting those people into the church. Um, and maybe we're not letting those people into the church, but what things are we letting into our mind? Um, what things are we letting kind of shape our worldview um, and that type of thing? So I have four for you. We're going to go through these pretty quickly. 
But um, I think these could be common to anybody, but I will just say, like, guys, over the years as I have met with students in this season of life, like, these are things that I see over and over and over. And so I would just encourage you to kind of jot these down um, and pray through these things. So, number one, entertainment may shape your heart by feeding your personal desire for sin. Entertainment may shape your heart by feeding your personal desire for sin. Um, that can change depending on what what your bent is towards certain sin. I know when I was in college, like my biggest struggle was singleness and not being in a romantic relationship. And so um, when I'm talking about entertainment, you know, it could be movies, it could be TV shows, it could be songs that you're listening to. But I really had to kind of take a season where I just, I, I wasn't, like I couldn't watch chick or listen to some songs because what I found happening was that I was getting super discontent after I would watch this really, you know, maybe it was really sappy and even maybe it was silly, but I would watch these people finding fulfillment in these relationships and I would, I would be finished watching it and angry that I didn't have that and discontent that I didn't have that. Um, so our questions just to ask yourself, am I watching things that stir lust? Am I watching things that stir discontentment or could be listening to or whatever? I'm just, I'm using watch, but am I watching things that stir my own pride or am I watching things that stir apathy? Um, the second one, I think that this is, is kind of a given. Um, social media may shape your heart by keeping you numb through distraction or another word for that that's kind of newer, escapism. Um, so if you wake up, guys, and first thing in the morning before you get out of bed, you're scrolling, checking your stories. If every spare minute throughout the day that you have, you can't just sit in stillness or in silence, but you're constantly on your phone and you have that right there in your pocket, that might be a really good indication that this is happening. Um, and I would encourage you to ask yourself, am I checking out instead of working hard? Am I checking out instead of dealing with my emotions? If you get upset or there's problems that happen or whatever, do you run away and like get on your phone? Really think through that. Um, am I checking out instead of spending time with the Lord in prayer? So in those moments when we want a distraction, like that's a really good indication that we should be spending time with Jesus and talking to him about what's going on, not distracting ourselves. Um, number three. Your unique culture may shape your heart by showing you how you ought to live. Your unique culture may shape your heart by showing you how you ought to live. That's going to look a little bit different for each one of you, okay? Um, I would think a lot of that has to do with maybe the people that you live with or your major and your program. There's unique culture in those things. So I'm, you know, I'm a mom and a college minister, and that's a lot of what I do and a lot of what I'm around. But one of my just, like, hobbies, I really love exercise, and I really love fitness. Um, and it is so bizarre to me watching um, some, of the, some of these fitness people who have these communities where they're doing really, I would not call it healthy at all. They're doing really unhealthy things by being so restrictive um, and putting certain goals that they want to meet above everything else and every other relationship in their life. And you know what? Because of the community that they've surrounded themselves with, it's normal to them. It's taught them how to live. It's taught them that this is fine and this is okay. And so some questions that I would ask um, would be, is it easy to justify 
my daily decisions because I'm living exactly like those around me? Is it easy to justify the way that I spend my time and my money because I am living exactly like those around me? And then kind of the final thing, number four, people that you love and or respect who don't love Jesus may shape your heart by teaching you what to value. People that you love and or respect who don't love Jesus may shape your heart by teaching you what to value. Um, And that might be a professor. That might be a friend that you grew up with that you really care what they think and you love them a lot. Guys, that might be your mom. It might be a grandparent. It might be a really well-meaning family member um, that, that cares a lot, but if they don't love Jesus, has a completely different value system than we have inside of the kingdom. And so the question that I would ask you is, am I only receiving advice from people like this, or do I also seek out wise and godly counsel? Um, And so kind of my prayer, my genuine prayer and heart and charge for you is that um, we would learn to be discerning about the things that try to shape us and that we would guard our hearts and our affections for Jesus alone. Um, If I could give you my one exhortation for this summer as we kind of go out, it would be um, to read a good biography. And I know that there's some of you who are going, whoa, 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 Drew. School year's over, and I've made a solemn oath to not pick up a book again until the end of summer. Um, Hear me out, uh, because this biography is really, really short, and this biography is yours. And it actually comes from from 2 Corinthians. It was one we read back in chapter 5, and it goes like this in chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, behold, the new has come. And that is, if you are a Christian, as he says, if you are in Christ, that is your biography in one verse. That everything that you used to be and all the things that you used to value and and what you used to build your life around or the past mistakes and failures have been done away with in Jesus and he has made something new out of you. That's your story. And so it, it goes... Um, therefore, because Brenna is in Christ, she is a new creation. Therefore, because Morgan is in Christ, she is a new creation. Because Ryan is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old has gone, behold, the new has come. Here's why that's significant, is that it is you and your identity that has been made different and new, and not, Paul does not say in there, therefore you have new routines, although that is probably going to be true of you if you're a Christian. He doesn't say, therefore, you have new beliefs, although you ought to if you're a Christian. He doesn't say, therefore, you have new moral practices or new habits. He doesn't say any of those things because those are all things that, depending on your context and your stage of life, might shift and change. He says there is a new you, a new creation, which does not change regardless of the context. The reason I tell you that is because that's really, uh, it can be really easy in the next three months of your life, I've seen it and I've lived it, Um, it can be really easy to forget that there is this new you that does not change when you go home. That does not change wherever you go. Um, For many of you, God has done some really profound things in your life during your time at college, whether that just be this last year or over the last couple years. 
And then there are a number of you who are about to go to a place where nobody else sees that yet. Some of you are about to go back to your home where people don't even recognize yet what God has done in you, and they still see the old you. And that might be really, really frustrating as you deal with family members who only view you through the lens of what you used to be. And it might uh, bring a lot of temptation for you as you deal with friends who only want to interact with you as though you're the old you. Um, and so my challenge for you and what my call for you is this, to remember that the you that is going home or going to your internship or going to a church camp or whatever that is, is the same person that God has been doing things in all year long. Do not forget that and do not live differently than that. What we want for you is that if you have been the kind of person, and hope you are, who is engaged in the body of Christ, um, attending and serving in the local church here in Stillwater, that you don't go somewhere for the summer and go, well, I'm just here for a few months, so it's not really worth trying to plug in. No, no, no. Same you. And so it ought to be the same kind of practice that you're engaging in. That a person who is regularly feeding themselves with the Word of God doesn't go, well, my routine doesn't really allow that, my schedule during the summer. No, no, no. Same you that was in Stillwater is at the place where you're going this summer. And the same you depends on the same bread of life wherever you go. And the same you needs the community of God's people around you to hold you accountable. And so my challenge for you is that you will remember your story so that you will live that same story. Remember that He has made you a new creation and the things that He's doing there He wants to continue doing here in my new context this summer. And so I, I would actually call you to this, to read this biography daily. To every morning read 2 Corinthians 5.17 and ask, how am I going to live from that truth? If you get tired of 2 Corinthians 5.17, let me give you a few more. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. That is your biography. That is your story. Um, let me give you another one. Romans 6.4 Ephesians 2.10 and one more, 2 Corinthians 3.18. There's five. So you could, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, read a different version of your biography every morning and then ask, what does it look like for me to live out the truth that what God has done in me in Stillwater will continue to be done in me in Name the City, wherever you live, that's my challenge to you. Remember your story and live your story this summer. When we decided to do this, I knew exactly what I wanted to talk about. Um, it's something that God's put on my heart weeks ago uh, to share at some point, and I didn't know when, but this, this really became a great spot. And so I'm excited to share it. But I, before I do that, I want to read um, from the Bible uh, to kind of set up what I want to say. This is, this is God's word, His words to the Israelite people after they wandered for 40 years in the desert and right before they entered into the promised land. This is what He says. Beware lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. These are the words of Jesus. 
If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And then we come to words from 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake... He became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So what I want to say is real simple and then I want to unpack it. Give and let God determine what you get. Give and let God determine what you get. Um, there's a phrase that, that says you can't outgive God. I actually believe that. Um, I believe the moment, the very first time you gave something away, whatever it was, I don't know, maybe you were two, um, by that point, you had already been given so much that you will never be able to give more than you had been given up to that point. In your parents alone, okay? Um, maybe, and definitely, definitely in, in God. Like, there's no way. God has given so, so much to you. And... You can't outgive him. Um, oftentimes, when people say that, they're, they're they're saying that maybe some people are saying that to think, well, wow, if I give this, God's going to give me more. If I give a hundred dollars, I'm going to get two hundred dollars, maybe a thousand, because that's how good God is. And that's not really the point. Um, it is it is just good for your soul to give and never receive, to give in such a way and to never get anything back, to serve in such a way and to never receive anything from it, to love in such a way and to never get repaid back in any way. It is just good for our souls to do that. And you guys maybe are aware of it, maybe you're not, but um, just just for the three of us to be here, okay, um, it's $33,500 is our budget, not including salaries, that we spend every year on college students. Just to, just to have this, just to um, go on retreats, just to do anything. Um, so you put our salaries into this, and it's well over $100,000 that it just from us, just for, for us to have this, okay? Um, why do I say that? Well, because think about Think about all the meals and the things you're going to get during finals week. Think about all the finals weeks you've had. Think about all the things. You, you, you don't even know how much churches and ministries have poured out to you. You've been given so much. And, and I, it's just good for your soul to give and to not get anything in, in return. And so I think you have a unique opportunity. For those of you who go to, go to Sunnybrook, you have a unique opportunity to, to give to something that you probably will never even maybe see completed or um, or get to benefit from in any way in this building campaign. It's just a building. It's a children's wing. 
and it's a renovated lobby, which if you've been in church in between services, hallelujah, we need a renovated lobby. We need a bigger, bigger lobby. But um, you may never receive, or you, you may never step foot in a new building that Sunnybrook builds. You may never see the children's wing. You may never get to benefit from it at all. And that may be the best reason to give to it. Um, and so I, I just I want to challenge you guys. I, I believe, and my wife and I practiced this from the moment we got married, we got married in college, um, to, we were giving 10% of our income, whatever it was, 10%, we were giving that to the church, and anything, anything we felt inspired to give, we gave over and above. Um, I believe you should be giving already. No matter what you make, I believe you should be giving back to God and to His kingdom. But I want to specifically challenge you to give to this because you won't get anything in return. Um, so, there's that. I also want to say, my daughter, um, she's 16 years old. All she does is babysit whenever she can. She's kind of the go-to person right now at our church a little bit, which is good for her. Um, but I don't know how much she makes. I mean, she, it's just 20 bucks here and there, okay? She's pledging over three years to give $450. I, it blew me away when she said that. That's And that's over and above what she's tithing from what she gets babysitting. So, Either she's going to have to get a really good job, or she's going to be basically giving away everything she makes. I don't know. I guess she's assuming that I'm just going to pay for everything else. But I love her heart, and I hope it. I hope that number, for whatever reason, motivates you to go, wow, that's a high school girl, 16 years old. I could beat that. Um, so anyway, give to things that, that you don't get anything in return, and let God determine what, what he does with that. That's what I want to say. So, and now we want to spend a few minutes, um, we want to give you a few minutes to let the Lord speak. Um, you know, a lot has been shared. Kelsey sh summed up the book of 2 Corinthians beautifully, gave us a lot to think about, a lot of things to reflect on and to look back on. So you could spend your time thinking about this past year and what God spoke to you through 2 Corinthians. You could think about the things that, that Rachel has shared or Drew has shared or I have shared. And, and just allow the Lord to speak. So we're going to take three minutes to do that, and um, and then I'm going to ask the, Haley and Caleb to get up and lead worship for us. But just spend some time and process some things that God's saying to you.